The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive to deep right, away back, goal! UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the longest-running Internet radio program in America, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, a comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com. And boy, do we have a bunch of things to talk to you about this evening. And I know that my counterpart for tonight's show... Our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue, is hotter than a firecracker over the trade that was made this afternoon between the Chicago Cubs and the New York Yankees. Why is he upset about that trade? Well, because Raldis Chapman got sent to the Chicago Cubs for basically the entire farm system that the Cubs have, which was a lot more than what the Yankees gave up for Raldis Chapman when they traded it for him by the Cincinnati Reds back in December. Mark, are you calmed down tonight? You're always asking me if I'm calm, if I'm cool, if I'm collected. I'm asking you the same thing tonight. Are you calmed down after this trade this afternoon was announced? Dave, I am calmed down, but I want you to know I am going to pout all night. And <laughs> I probably will not sleep well, but I'll get over it. And Taking a page uh, out of my book, are we? Excuse me? Taking a page out of my book, are we? Yes, I'm taking the Dave Mitchell pouting uh, uh, position on, on some issues, uh, but in, in this case, I think I have earned it, and I, I can't think that a Reds fan can look at this trade without shaking their head in disbelief at what the Cubs got for um, to get Chapman, what they gave up. And don't forget, when the Reds traded Chapman, They should have gotten more because Chapman had a year and a half left of playing time. And it's just incredible, uh, or a a year, a full year of playing time. And the Cubs gave up their number 24 draft pick, actually number 24, their number one draft pick, 24th in the country. This guy's a shortstop, 19-year-old shortstop. And he alone would have been a good return for Chapman. But he got, they got three other players, in, in, including their number one left-hander. And, and the Reds got four guys that I can't imagine anybody would know who they are at this point because they're doing so poorly in the minors. All so right, let's I go over this trade. The, I, I hate to start off our show tonight on such a negative tack, but I, I look at this, and it, it's just jaw-dropping, that kind of decision by the front office that will haunt this team for a number of years to come. Araldus Chapman in 31 and a third innings this year, Mark, for the Yankees, had converted 20 of 21 save opportunities, which was second best in Major League Baseball, posting a 2.01 ERA, 44 strikeouts in those 31 and a third innings. And on top of that, Mark, he threw a pitch last week, two of them in a ball game at 105 miles an hour, and in one ball game last week, topped out at 108. You tell me that he wasn't showcasing himself. Yeah, it, it's really, not only did the Reds mess up on the trade for Chapman, I don't know why they panicked, because they could have waited till the end of the year. If they had some issues about Chapman because of his uh, domestic violence uh, accusation, they could have waited. Uh, later in the, in the off season, they made a trade that made sense, but they didn't. Of course, they panicked and gave him away. And then the the Yankees, being the smart business people they are, they made a great a great deal. They got Chapman for nothing. They then traded Chapman for a whole bunch. So they are the real winners in this. And of course, the Cubs were probably going to win the division and maybe even the World Series without Chapman. But right now, I think they would be odds-on favorites to uh, to certainly go to the World Series and have a real good chance of winning it. Well, we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame induction ceremony yesterday. 
little Cincinnati flavor in it yesterday afternoon with Ken Griffey Jr. going into the hall along with Mike Piazza. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Chris Sale situation, and we'll hit up some 2017 Hall of Fame possibilities. That's all coming up in our second half hour. But, Mark, let's look at this trade. Araldis Chapman went to the Cubs for these players, the number 24 prospect in Major League Baseball, and the number one draft pick just two years ago from the Cubs, Glaber Torres. Now, of course, the Cubs, Mark, they, they could give this guy up because they've got so much talent on their Major League roster, young talent. This kid probably was going to have a hard time breaking the Major League roster over the next two or three years. Then they not only gave him up, but they gave up Billy McKinney, Rashad Crawford, and relief pitcher Adam Warren. Now, three of those four players, McKinney, Crawford, and, of course, the aforementioned Torres were top 50 prospects in the Cubs organization. They gave up all four pitchers, Mark, for Araldis Chapman. Now, in turn, here are the players that the Reds got in December for Chapman. Rookie Davis, Eric Jagiello, Tony Renda, and Caleb Cotham. Mark, I know you've probably got the numbers in front of you on those four players, but if you are just a passive Cincinnati Reds fan, I would swear that probably nobody knows who those four guys are that the Reds got for Araldis Chapman in December. Well, not only are they unknowns, relatively speaking, but they're performing Rookie Davis is having a, a, a pretty good year. I think he's in Double A now. But the other players, uh, this Jaglio, who's supposed to be, a, a, you know, the, the big bat they got. Last I saw about a week ago, he's hitting 196 in Double A. And so they really haven't gotten anybody from that trade that that made any sense at all. And what's amazing is, it sounds as if the Cubs are going to offer Chapman a long-term contract. So they may be having him around for a long time, which means the Reds have to face Chapman in the Central Division for how many years to come? Who knows? So it, it was just a horrific deal by the Reds. But more than that, Dave, they mishandled Chapman from the time they had him. He, he, he threw a pitch 108 miles an hour. T- tell me all the pitchers that have thrown 108 miles an hour. Well, you know, the thing about it is, Mark, the Cubs can offer Chapman that. Now, I know that they had they had not discussed an extension with Chapman prior to this deal, although the Yankees did give the Cubs evidently permission to do that yesterday, but the Cubs and his agent couldn't come to any type of extension. Still, the Cubs went ahead and pulled off the deal because, Mark, after 100 years of being dormant in Major League Baseball, they're willing to do just about anything to win the World Series, and they're doing what I'm going to talk about what the Indians aren't doing here in a little bit, and that is go for it. Yeah, and I admire the Cubs for doing that. And, you know, the, you, you look at what they have. If Chapman leaves and he is signed by another team, that means the Cubs get, get a first-round draft pick. So they will replace maybe that number 24 guy with another draft pick. But the teams like the Cubs, who have not won for a while, when they see their opportunity, they're going to go for it. And I think Cub fans would demand they, they do just that. But the the issue really to me is what what the Reds have done with the talent they've had, and it's it's completely mismanagement, and that's the position they're in because they have mismanaged the talent. And you know, one thing that you've been bringing up in the last couple of years about the way the Reds mishandled Araldus Chapman, especially out of the bullpen. Forget the starting aspect right now, but out of the bullpen, one of the things that you were bringing up all the time was that you wanted to see him work more than just one inning. With his arm, he could go more than one inning. I think you're going to see Joe Madden use that. Of course, especially if, he, if the Cubs don't care what happens to him after this year. You may see Chapman out there every day for the rest of the year. Uh, you know they're, they're going to they're going to use him. And Chapman, for for his part, you know he's a strong guy. He's probably the strongest guy in baseball. Uh, they say he can hit a baseball 450 feet. Uh, so he, he's a great athlete, and he is going to make his money no matter what. What I can't believe is his agent has not made him be a starter because he could have made twice the money that he's going to make in his career uh, if, he, if he were a starter. Can you imagine him in the starting rotation? Uh, he, he would be so dominant, and, and yet people have not yet 
uh, put him in the starting rotation, and maybe because he doesn't want to be. Well, I want to bring up, let, let's move away from the Cubs right now. I'll get back to the Cubs here in a little bit because I want to ask you the question coming up later on in our, our show. Does this, this put the Cubs over the top in the Central Division? Because they were fading a little bit and the Cardinals were catching up, but this trade may indeed put the Cubs right back up on top of that Central Division. But let's look at what's happened over the past week with the Reds and the Indians. And, Mark, really, when you look at what the Reds did over the last week, 4-2, and they've actually won the most games in Major League Baseball since the All-Star break there. They seem to be picking up some steam in the last three months of the baseball season. Well, I can't say it's the last three months. The last three weeks, they've won three consecutive series, something they've not done all year. But let's let's put this in perspective, Dave. Who did they beat? They beat Arizona two out of three. They beat Milwaukee two out of three. And they beat Atlanta two out of three. Three of the worst teams in baseball. Now, so are the Reds better than some of the worst teams in baseball? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but they, you know, they, uh, they, they played some pretty weak teams. And so I wouldn't put too much stock in that. Of course, tonight they start off a three game series with the San Francisco Giants and then go down to San Diego. So they're going to get much better competition. But we'll see how they go. I, I would be stunned if the Reds finish above 500 the rest of the year. I don't think they'll play 500 ball between now and then. Well, they're 38-60 and 60 heading into tonight's action. The Indians are off tonight, and they get the opportunity, Mark. Well, you know, it's, it's a good news scenario in Cleveland. The Republicans have left town, and the Indians are back. So <laughs> you, you look at that, and I'll tell you what, things are looking brighter. In the city of Cleveland now, the Indians come home, they're in first place, and guess who they get to face, Mark? The Washington Nationals tomorrow night at Progressive Field in a two-game series tomorrow night and then Wednesday afternoon. Should be a pretty interesting series between two first-place ball clubs. Well, do they get to face Strasburg? Because I think he, he'll face them, what, tomorrow night? Or night, night after that? I think, I think he faces them tomorrow night. Let me check the okay. the pitching rotation here. But I, I know uh, Carrasco goes tomorrow night, and, and then it will be Salazar. So, of course, two of the better pitchers that the Indians are going to have. Uh, Gio Gonzalez will go tomorrow night against Salazar. And then, boy, Wednesday afternoon at 12.10, Mark, the businessman special, get this pitching matchup. Steven Strasburg at 13-1 and against Carlos Carrasco at 7-3. and Carrasco's ERA is 2.31. Strasburg's ERA is 2.83. Wow. That what a, a matchup that's going to be. Are you going to go? I wish I could. I've got to go out of town for the next three days. But I, I wish I could go up and watch that matchup. It, it would be fun. Hey, I see you were hobnobbing down in Cincinnati this weekend. You were at the game Saturday night, weren't you? Friday night. Friday, okay. Well, Saturday night, you missed it. You had an opportunity I, I, to John, talk to John a big wig about your movie. Um, uh, John Travolta was there. I, I missed him, but uh, I left him a message and said, Hey, John, it's Mark. I'm sure he knew who I was. But uh, it was uh, if actually, he didn't, his we, we wife got some did. great seats, and it, it, was a, it was a fun evening. And, you know, if you go down with the idea that you don't care if your team wins, it's actually more enjoyable. <laughs> mm hmm. But when you go down there and you're expecting or hoping they're going to win, and it's a big game and they get beat, uh, the whole evening is ruined. So uh, uh, I guess there is some upside to having uh, a bad team every once in a while. Mark, the Indians are coming off losing three in a row to Baltimore. Should we be worried? Yeah, I think you should. Um, I, I think when you have a team that is based on pitching, like I think the Indians are. I mean, they're they're a well-rounded team, but uh, without that pitching staff, they, they wouldn't be anywhere near where they are. But that pitching can wear out, and you go into the heat of the summer, and you have a couple false starts, uh, guys having some problems, and you can get into a losing streak. And losing streaks are far more psychological than they are physical. And, you know, a team has a big lead, uh, had a six-and-a-half game lead last week. I don't know what it is now for the Indians. Six but, games. Um, it's still yeah, six. It, may, it, can, it can be tight. I mean, you, you get tight uh, and you lose a couple games, and all of a sudden you start looking over your shoulder, just like the Cubs. 
uh, frankly, I think the Cubs have a lot more to lose than the, than the Indians in terms of pressure. I mean, if they if they wouldn't hold on, it would be just a huge, huge upset. Number one, uh, but something maybe the Cubs don't re- recover from for a number of years. Mark, I think the Indians are in pretty good shape right now because they're six games up on the division. Detroit has no money left and they have no prospects. So really, the chances of them improving their club and catching the Indians are probably slim and none. Then you've got Kansas City. They pretty much decimated their farm system a year ago, not only going after Johnny Cueto, but also Ben Zobrist before he left to go to the Cubs. And Kansas City is really hurt. Boy, they've lost... Their, their third baseman, they've lost their right fielder. They don't have a lot to give up in trade. I know there's been a lot of talks about Jay Bruce possibly going to Kansas City even. And then you've got the White Sox, which just appear ready to implode. We'll talk about Chris Sale here in a little bit. I, I think if you look at the two teams, Mark, that you just brought up, the Cubs and the Indians, I think the, the Cubs are the team that are behind the eight ball, and that's why I brought up the question earlier. Do you think the Araldis-Chapman deal just put them back over the top and they have nothing to worry about with the Pirates and the Cardinals now? No, I think the Cubs are in great shape. I, I, I think of all the teams out there, they probably have the, 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 the best roster, 25-man roster out there. So, yeah, I, I think they're in real good shape. And uh, that team is – the frightening thing about the Cubs is uh, they're only going to get better with that young – that young group of people they have, but they got some great guys in the minor leagues still, even after the trade today. So they're going to be around for a while, which does not bode well for the Reds. And the, and the Pirates, their minor league system is very strong. So that's what the Reds are faced, is these teams have gotten better. But their plan, these teams like the Cubs, they have a long-term plan that's going to keep them in the hunt for a long time. They're not doing it one and done. And I think it's what the Indians are building, too. I think their plan is more, we're going to be good or very good for a long period of time rather than trying to be great one year and trying to capture the gold ring. They want to be around for a long time, which I think is a very smart thing to do. Well, the Indians made an interesting move over the weekend. It wasn't a trade, but what they did, Mark, was they took the two trade chips that they everybody seems to want, Clint Frazier and Bradley Zimmer, both outfielders, Move them from Double A Akron up to Triple A Columbus. Now, in my opinion, this could only mean one of two things. One is they think these guys are ready for Triple A Columbus, and two, they're showcasing them in this final week before the trade deadline, three o'clock next Monday afternoon. What do you think? Uh, I think it's for the trade. I think the Indians are going to make a trade, and I think they're probably showcasing some some people. And I think that's a smart thing to do. Again, the Indians, with their pitching staff, in my opinion anyway, they have a chance to win the World Series. Now, not just make the playoffs. They're going to make the playoffs. But they have a chance to win the World Series. So you don't want not to make a move and be accused of mailing it in the second half and then lose. Uh, I think fans fans don't forgive that. Fans, I think, will forgive okay, you gave up a great player, a minor league player out of your system in 2016. You got, you got what you thought was a, someone who would make a difference, get you to the World Series, and it didn't work. Okay, at least you tried. At least you went for it. So so many teams don't go for it, but uh, I, I think the Indians will. I, I think they have a chance to win, and if we know that, or at least I know that, then I think um, people in the organization must know that as well. Mark, case in point to what you just said, I, I continually go back to the 97 season when the Indians had the opportunity to get Pedro Martinez from then Montreal for Jarrett Wright. They didn't do it. Boston eventually got Pedro Martinez the next year, and they ended up winning a World Series with Pedro Martinez a few years down the road. The Indians lost that season in seven games. If they make that trade, Mark, and win the World Series, nobody remembers it. Nobody, they, all they remember is the fact that they went out and they got Pedro Martinez. But the fact yeah. that they did nothing, everybody still talks about that to this day, Mark, even though Jarrett Wright won two games in that World Series and almost won Game 7. He almost won three games in that World Series, Mark, if you recall. Almost won Game 7. And the Indians would have been world champs 
and nobody would have remembered that they possibly got Pedro Martinez. But, Mark, the way the Indian fans feel right now, they're starting to come out to the ballpark. They're starting to fill it up. I think you're going to see a near-capacity crowd tomorrow night, probably not as many on Thursday afternoon because it's during the day. But they play 19 of their next 24 games at home. The Indians have an opportunity here to really make some hay. But if they don't make a move before next Monday, if we come on the show next Monday night at 9 o'clock, Mark, and the Indians have not made a move, I think the Indians' attendance goes right down the chute for a couple of weeks because they're going to think, well, here we go, the same old Dolans. They're not going to make a move. And I think that, that is, I think they've got to do something. What that move is, they've got to, they've got to really shore up the bullpen, Mark. That's the big thing that they've got to do. They've got to shore up that bullpen. Yeah, imagine what the Indians would have done with Chapman. Oh. You know, Cody Allen came out yesterday and said, that if they would get Araldis Chapman, he would gladly give up his closer role and move to the eighth inning. Man, take, talk about a back end of a, of a pitching staff, man. That would have been that would have been very strong. So again, you wonder what do they think of? What do they know that we don't know? Is it all about stockholders and and getting returns on equity? Uh, you know, why don't you make a move like that when you have a chance to get a Chapman? And what would they've had to give up to get Chapman? Now that that's the other issue. But uh, you know, when teams don't go for it, it leaves a really bad taste in the mouth of the uh, the fans, particularly, but of the press, anybody who's associated with the team. That geez, we we, we had a chance and we didn't go for it, and that's that's hard to take. Mark, there was some talk last week, Tuesday or Wednesday night that the Indians and the Milwaukee Brewers were close to making a trade. Jonathan Lucroy, Will Smith, left-handed reliever, and Ryan Braun, because the Brewers want to unload Braun's salary. They just want to start all over. And the Indians, it, it was never really revealed what they were supposed to be giving up. But the two names that were prominent in this were Brady Aiken, the left-handed pitcher that they drafted in the first round a year ago. And if you recall, two years ago, Mark, he was the number one selection in the entire draft by the Houston Astros, but he didn't want to play in Houston. So he went back to school, and the Indians got him with the number six pick a year ago. And Tyler Naquin. Now, I don't know who else was supposed to be involved in that deal, but, boy, Mark, I'll tell you what. I know Braun is signed through the year 2020 at almost $20 million a year. Lucroy would have been done this year. Will Smith has got another year and a half left on his contract. If that deal was real, Mark, first of all, I'm going to ask you this. If that deal was real, was it a good deal for the Indians no matter what? And secondly, do you mortgage your future and, and take on a Ryan Braun like that? Well, Ryan Braun, I mean, I wouldn't do it. I don't know his contract, uh, but... It's through 2020 Braun, and 20 million a year. Well, I know, but if if he has, if you can lock him up, and would you pay 20 million dollars for the stats? Going backward, looking back at Ryan Braun's career, would you pay 20 million dollars a year for the stats he's put up over the last five years? No. Well, then you, you don't make the trade. So that's that's the decision that the the organization made, but. You can't you can't fault them for looking at that as an opportunity, and if they if they measure <clears throat> measure it and say no, it can't help. I, I don't think a bat in the short term uh, <clears throat> to get a brawn is going to make a difference. I, I just don't. I, I think a Chapman makes a difference. I think if you if you are in need of starting pitching, it makes a difference. But do you think Ryan Braun is that much better than you got right now? Well, it depends on who you're talking about. I mean, if you're talking about Lonnie Chisenhall and putting him in right field, then maybe so. But if you're talking about Michael Brantley and the way Tyler Naquin has been playing as of late, no. Well, and that's, that's why, you know, but you're, but the other two guys, I want. But supposedly, Milwaukee wouldn't make the deal unless Braun was included. Yeah, they want to unload that contract. Sure. Yeah. Well, I well, want to talk it, about two yeah. players on the Reds, Mark. Mm-hmm. 
two injured players. The first one is Homer Bailey. Now, this comes off of Trent Rosencrantz, and you and I both just love the heck out of Trent Rosencrantz, off of his Twitter account. Homer Bailey at AAA, four and a third innings so far, five hits, two runs, two earned runs, four walks, four strikeouts, 98 pitches he threw, 57 strikes. That's as of five minutes ago. You think Homer Bailey is being showcased to be traded, don't you? Yeah, and with those kind of numbers, he's not going to get traded. Not for $80 million left on his contract. Uh, people would have to see through that and look, look at the, you know, his velocity and his placement of pitches and all that kind of thing. He, he certainly has not dominated AAA by any means. Now, he's supposed to be coming up. This was supposed to be his last start, and they said they wanted to get into 100 pitches, which they have. So they're going to have to look at beyond the numbers, beyond the stats, uh, to make a uh, a reasoned um, decision to bring him up to help this team. Now, if you're if you're the Reds, would you trade Homer Bailey for nothing just to get the contract off your back? Would you? Well, that's a good question. I, for nothing, no. I think you've got to give. I think you've got to get something for this guy. Well, right now, if, if you were any other team, look at the Indians. Okay, do they need a fifth starter? No. Okay, look at a team that does. T- tell me a team that would take on an eighty million dollar contract with right now a minor league pitcher who's getting beat up in the minor leagues, coming off two arm surgeries a year ago. The only one I can think of. Well, there's two. Maybe the Dodgers are the prime. The prime source. The Yankees getting rid of Chapman, they just proved that they're selling. Don't be surprised if Beltran is the next one to go. I think Miller will stay with the Yankees now. The other one is the Mets, but the big decision the Mets have to make is, are they in the race or are they out of the race, especially after they've lost two of their big studs? I think they're out of the race, and I think they'd be foolish to get... I mean, for for a team to take on Chapman, you have to make the determination. Now, let me put it this way. If Chapman was... At his prime, you know, he'd thrown two no-hitters. Uh, he was throwing 97, 98, 99 in the, in the eighth inning. And and you want to win the World Series, okay? Yeah, you take on a Chapman contract at $100 million or $80 million or whatever to try and win. And not only that year, but to win subsequently. I, I can't think of an organization that would take on Chapman in that contract based on his most recent performance, which right now is in AAA, and he's getting beat up in AAA. So I, I don't know what team would take him on unless the Reds want to, in essence, give him away to get that $80 million off the books and let somebody else take the risk with him. Because I, I, I disagree with you. I don't think they're going to get anything for Bailey, but they might trade him anyway. Because they, they've got, with DiScafani, they've got somebody who's throwing – is good or, or, or better than Bailey is thrown. He's five and zero with a two five zero ERA. So you got your Bailey for a lot less money in Discalfani. So why would you bring Bailey back and pay him eighty million dollars when you're going to be in last place the next three years? Is there any thought about making him the closer? Frankly, I never thought of that. That's that's a good thought. It might it might take um, the stress off his arm. We mm-hmm. come in and throw an inning or two. That, that, that's really a good idea, Dave. I didn't think about that. But th- that's something I think too far out of the box for the Reds to comprehend. <laughs> they probably wouldn't think about that. But well, that, that's you a know, good it, idea. it would really be almost hypocritical of them, Mark, because they didn't. You know, it would be completely the opposite of what they did with Chapman. Yeah, and you know, I think of um, what's his name, the guy for the Braves, who went from starter to reliever and back again. Yeah, John, yeah. He was uh, he was a guy who did that. He went back and forth, and so yeah, it's been done. And he did it for the same reason to take the pressure off his arm as a starter, and he became an outstanding reliever. So yeah, it's been done. I just don't think the Reds are creative enough to come up with that plan. Well, another person that I want to talk about, another player that I want to talk about is Devin Mezzarocco, and that's going to lead us into basically the conversation with Joey Votto again, but. Devin Mezzarocco went through another exploratory hip surgery, basically just to 
cleaned things up since he's out for the year. He decided to get the other hip operated on. Mark, first of all, I don't see how this guy is ever going to catch again. And secondly, is he ever going to play with the Reds again? And if so, where? Is he a DH in the making? I think so. I, I don't know any team that would take a risk on him signing him to a long-term contract. He's got two years after this on his contract, so he's going to be around for a while if the Reds want him. But why? You know, you really couldn't take a chance with him uh, behind the plate because he could be out again the rest of the year. And actually, the Reds are getting Tucker Barnhart's having a decent year for the Reds. He's good defensively. He's at five home runs. He's hitting about two seventy. Uh, he's not Devin Mesoraco offensively. But we don't know, except for one year, who Devin Mesoraco is. He had one good year. He had 24 or 25 home runs, drove in 70 or 80 runs, hit 270. That's a good year for a catcher. But he, he got hurt that year. He, he missed, 40, I think, 30 or 40 games that year. Uh, so he's, every year he's played, he's gotten hurt. And uh, is he a DH in the making? Yeah, but he's only had one year of offensive production. So, I, again, he's a risky player for anybody to sign, but I don't see him ever catching full-time for the Reds. Well, that leads you into another problem. Then if the Reds can't unload him, where does he play next year? The logical spot is first base, but then you've got Joey Votto, which throughout the first half of the year, Mark, Joey Votto was hitting like Joey Bono. And now he has turned everything around, and he's hitting the baseball now like Joey Votto has been known to hit the baseball. So where does Joey Votto stand with the Reds then? Well, what's been disturbing this year about Joey Votto, he got off to a horrible start at the bat, but he got off to an even worse start in the field. I've never seen him play a worse first base. I mean, he's oh, I, I play first base, and I've played first base for 25 years. I know how to play first base defensively. And he was laying the ball, which means you, you don't get your body in front of the ball. You stick your glove out. He, he, he makes terrible throws, crazy throws to second base for double plays. He, he wasn't blocking the ball. He wasn't scooping well. All the things that a first baseman should do, he was not doing. And this guy, I think he's won a, a gold lever. He's come close to it. He was very good a couple of years ago. So I think it's been concentration, uh, frankly, that he was hitting poorly and he let it get to him in the field. So it'll be interesting to see what happens since June. I think he's hitting 375 or 380 since June. And since in July and August, he's or July now, uh, he's hitting over 400. And his on-base percentage for the year now is back up to 410, which is remarkable. He's led the major leagues on base percentage last four years, and but and it's average 422. Think about that. He gets on base 42 percent of the time. That's that's astonishing, and he's almost back there right now. He's had 17 home runs. He's driven in 50 runs. His power numbers are going to be down a little bit, but you know, Dave, at the end of the year, he's probably going to be at or over 300. He'll probably hit 25 to 30 home runs and he'll drive in 80 to 90 runs. That's Joey Votto. And if he had somebody hitting behind him that was a real, well, this year he's actually had somebody hitting behind him in Jay Bruce, but he normally doesn't. But, uh, you know, Joey Votto is going to be a guy, when he gets hot, you cannot get him out. I was down there the other night, and he hit a, he hit a ball on the outside corner of the plate, down not down the left field line, but direct left field on a line. Hit that ball. 375, 380 feet on a line drive for a three-run home run. And when he swings the bat like he can, he is just very, very tough to get out. And he walks. And So I'm a big Joy Votto fan, but I think the bigger question is, could he play left field? And I think he could. Uh, you know, Joey's 6'3", and he can run. He's got seven or eight stolen bases. He, he, he can run. I just wish they put him in left field and put Mizoraku at first. That would be, uh, I think, the, the way to solve the problem. All right, before we get into the second half of the show, I'm going to hit you with some names, just a quick yes or no answer as to whether or not you think they will be traded before next Monday, okay? All right. Jay Bruce, yes or no? Yes. Yes. Homer Bailey, yes or no? No. No. 
Joey Votto, yes or no? No. No. Brandon Phillips? No. Zach Cozart? Mm, I'd say yes. Okay. And will the Indians make a deal? Yes. Okay. Let's move on. Mark, there was a little... I'm sorry? You heard it here, folks. <laughs> well, let, let's see what happens. Mark, the Hall of Fame yesterday. Both you and I agree it's not really the Hall of Fame until Pete Rose gets inducted. But yesterday, i got to admit, I was very, very pleased with the selections that were inducted in Ken Griffey Jr. and Mike Piazza. Mike Piazza on his second attempt, Ken Griffey Jr., on his first attempt, and I gotta say, Mark, I thought it was great when I saw Ken Griffey Jr. at the end of the speech pull the ha- pull the hat out from behind the podium and put it on backwards. You know, one of the greatest things I've ever seen in baseball, and I've seen a lot of stuff, was when Ken Gr- Griffey Sr. and Ken Griffey Jr. Mm-hmm. when they were both playing for Seattle went back to back home runs. That I can't imagine that ever happening again in baseball. First of all, it would be very, very together. hard. And then hitting home runs back to back in the same game. It just, it, it was really a remarkable event. And I've never forgotten it. And, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. was the embodiment of, of, his nickname was the kid because of the enthusiasm he played with. And there was a lot of Willie Mays in him in terms of his showmanship and the way he played and the talent and all that stuff. But it's, it's so interesting. When you reach a certain age, you can see the entire development of a player's career. I remember him coming up when he was 19 years old, and then when he was, you know, in, in the twilight of his career, an injured body, couldn't do what he used to do. What a swing! I mean, that that swing, just a, a thing of beauty. If you were a baseball player, that may be the greatest swing I've ever seen of anybody. He could hit for average, hit for power, he could run. He was a great defensive player. Absolutely a first ballot Hall of Famer. Well, and you talked about how he played his high school ball in Cincinnati, and he started out the festivities by thanking the crowd and also his high school baseball coaches. I stand up here humbled and overwhelmed. The last couple months have been a blur. From the call from the hall to to the calls from all the Hall of Famers that are sitting here behind me. I can't describe how that feels, but I can tell you that I was more nervous talking to them than I am now. There are a lot of people out here who, who made me the person I am today. Now, I can't name them all, and I apologize for that, but I will talk about my high school baseball coach, Mike Cameron and Smitty. When I decided to play baseball, high school baseball, instead of going to spring training, I went in the batting cage, and I swung and missed seven or eight times. And I still remember the look at Coach Smith's face and Cameron's face, saying, and he's supposed to be good. I told him, I said, just wait till we get outside. A couple weeks later, we were able to go outside, and I hit the first couple balls in the trees. And I can remember... Smitty going, wow, I think we've got something here. I want to thank them for being true coaches, for being honest and fair. Thank you. Mark, he went in wearing the Seattle hat, although he played a few years with the Reds. Are you disappointed he didn't go in as a Red? Oh, no. No, I'm not at all. I think he, the Seattle fans were were deserving of that recognition he gave them because his greatest years clearly were with Seattle. And so, yeah, I think he did the right thing there. And you know what scares me about him? I'll tell you what scares me. It's the fact I heard he had his pilot's license. And that scares me. I'm not not making light of this. Some of these athletes, uh, I I think of Thurman Munson and, and guys I actually knew, uh, I knew the pilot of that plane. Uh, he worked for me. A guy named Jerry Anderson was in the plane when Thurman died. And every time I hear about a player who has more money than experience going out there and flying a plane, and I don't know if this is a jet he's got or not, but 
I just it gives me a bad, bad feeling when I hear that, and I I, I wish he wouldn't fly. He's got everything to live for. Don't don't do something stupid, Ken. But in, in terms of his Seattle connection, they, they earned it. His greatest years were there, and he should have been a Mariner. You know, Mike Piazza was very, very emotional during his speech, probably more so, Mark, than I I actually thought he would be. I think this meant more to him than he ever let on in, in previous years. But at the time of his speech, Mark, I don't know if you heard it, but he had to thank two very special Ohio Hall of Famers. Thank you to all the legends and Hall of Famers on this stage behind me. You all have given us great joy and inspiration. The only way I ever thought I would be here with you is if I bought a ticket. It's a tremendous, it is a testament to our great country and game that dreams can come true. You just need to be willing to pay the price. Two that are very special to me are Mike Schmidt and Johnny Bench. Schmitty, I watched you as a child. I celebrated with you and suffered with you. You are a true man of class and faith. The outpouring of emotion when you announced your retirement showed how much pressure you put on yourself to perform and always considered you an inspiration. God bless you. And Johnny Bench. Johnny, you will always be the best of all time. You revolutionized catching, and the game is better because of it. Your leadership and performance in the biggest games will never be matched. Although maybe I hit the ball just a little better to right field. I, I, when he said that, Mark, the first thing that popped into my head was that home run that Bench hit to right field in the 72 playoffs to, to tie the game five against the Pirates. But I don't know if you saw that or not. But when Piazza said Mike Schmidt and Johnny Bench, Bench's eyes just lit up because he did not expect that. Well, it's funny, those two guys. I've met Johnny Bench. I can't say I know him. I, I'm shaking his hand. I've said hello to him. I, I don't. I don't. I met him in Dream Week and all that stuff. But I played with Mike Schmidt. I played with Mike for, I don't know, five or six years. And I, let me give you an anecdote about Mike Schmidt, who's a, who's a really a good guy. Uh, we played in double-A ball here in Dayton, and I was playing third base, and I was I thought I was a pretty good ball player. And then Mike went away to OU, and he came back, I think it was his junior year, we were playing in the summer league down here. I'm playing third base. He gets a line drive down the third base line, and I stick my hand out like an idiot, and I catch it. <laughs> I thought my arm was going into left field, and it was it was hit that hard. And I'm thinking, man. That guy's gotten pretty strong. Next time he comes up, he hits a, a one hop or short hop to me. I block it, and it almost knocks me out, hits me in the chest, and I, I don't throw him out. Next time he hits a home run that's probably still traveling over the left field fence, over 369 mark. Third, fourth time up, he hits another home run. I swear to God, that was the time I realized I wasn't, I was never going to be that good. <laughs> and maybe I should concentrate on basketball. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Playing against him, seeing how he developed over the years. Uh, I played basketball with him in Philadelphia when we moved up there. So I, I know Mike. I don't know him. He's not a friend, but I, I interfaced with him a lot. And he was the most talented player I'd ever played against. Uh, because I didn't play in the big leagues. So having him in Dayton and playing against him in high school and college and all that stuff, he developed in, in a way I'd never seen anybody develop. And he was just a, he was a great hitter and great power. But the thing about Schmitty was <clears throat> he was one of the best third basemen defensively that baseball's ever seen. And people sure forget was. that. They just think about the home runs. The guy was a great third baseman. So, uh, he's the one who convinced me that I wasn't nearly as good as I thought I was. <laughs> I should well, probably be basketball in college and not baseball. You know, Mike Piazza, he had a very difficult choice. Maybe it wasn't so much of a difficult choice as to which hat to wear into the hall, whether it was the Dodgers or the Mets. But the explanation that he had to give Tommy Lasorda, if you remember, Tommy Lasorda is his godfather. 
Tommy Lasorda is the reason the Dodgers drafted this guy in the 27th round in the year he was drafted. And he goes in as a Met. Could you imagine having to go to your godfather, Tommy Lasorda, and say, Tommy, I'm going in as a Met? Well, I, I can understand that again. I mean, I, I think there's every, there's reason to to expect him to do that. Just because you signed with the, with the team doesn't mean you're going to, you know, go in there at the Hall of Fame with him. But yeah, um, but he had just as many good years with the Dodgers as he did with the Mets. Well, he, he's got to pick one, and I, right. I, I don't think you could go wrong picking either one. I mean, he he had enough good seasons with the Mets that he could certainly justify justify him going in there. So uh, I, I don't think that is a, a knock. Oh, I'm not arguing about the decision. I'm just saying, could you imagine having to tell Tommy? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I can see him doing it. I mean, <laughs> uh, Piazza was really, I thought, underrated. Uh, he, he wasn't a great defensive player, but, uh, you know, he, he set a lot of catching records offensively, uh, home runs for catcher and all those things. He, he, was, he, was, he was the man. I mean, he, he hit a lot of home runs. He had over 400 home runs, I think. So um, he, he was he was well he earned his recognition yesterday. Definitely. So Ken Griffey Jr. and Mike Piazza both deserving go into the Hall of Fame yesterday. Now, Mark, here are the names that are possibles for enshrinement next year, and I'm going to name these off, and then afterwards. I want to know who you think will actually, if you had a vote, who would you vote in? Here's the list. Manny Ramirez, Pudge Rodriguez, Vladimir Guerrero, Jeff Bagwell, Trevor Hoffman, and Tim Raines. Out of those players, if you had a vote, who do you vote for to go into the Hall of Fame next year? Well, I'd vote for more than one. Oh, I would too. But I, Okay, so who would you vote for? I'd vote for all of them. I can't think of one that – maybe Manny Ramirez may be on, on the cusp. But Pudge Rodriguez, I, I think he deserves to go in. Trevor Hoffman certainly needs to go in. And the guy who's underrated, I think, is Tim Raines. Tim Raines was a hell of a player. And he was a hell of a player for a long time. And he could do it. He could hit for power. He could run. Uh, I think he's been really overlooked by by players and maybe this generation. But I would certainly have Pudge, Hoffman, and Reigns in there. Who, who would you have it? I've got, I've got Ramirez. I think before the steroid scandal, I think Ramirez was a Hall of Famer ever before the last three years of his major league career. I've got Pudge Rodriguez along with you. I think he deserves to go in. And Tim Reigns. I think those are the three. I like Trevor Hoffman. I like Jeff Bagwell. I think the most least likely guy, in my opinion, out of these six to go into the Hall is Vladimir Guerrero. I, I just, for some reason, I don't think he's he's billed as a Hall of Famer. Bagwell, I just love. I just think Bagwell over the last few years has just been hit by some monstrous guys. And Trevor Hoffman, I agree with you. I think he deserves to go in. If he went in, if I was going to add a fourth guy, it would be Trevor Hoffman before Bagwell. Uh, I think Hoffman needs to go in only because, as a reliever, he set some records that you know that haven't been equaled. And uh, don't forget, he signed as a shortstop with the Reds, by the way, and they, they traded him away. But I, I think Hoffman may get more votes than you think because he dominated his position. You know, Bagwell, there was always rumors in the, in the background about him on steroids. No one's ever formally accused him or, or, or that. I wonder, and I'm not accusing him either, I'm just wondering if that backstory might uh, hurt his chances uh, Guerrero, man, he, he he was a great player. I mean, he really was. He, he was a great player, and uh, I don't think he has the all-around statistics that a lot of the players have. But uh, you can't go wrong with with that. That's one of the strongest classes from start to finish that I've I've heard for a while. Uh, that could. I mean, all those guys are very worthy. They they were great players, every one of them. Well, and then in 2018, Barry Bonds and Jim Tomey. Well, that that will be the day of reckoning for all those guys because if Bonds doesn't get in as a first ballot guy, then those other guys are never going to get in. The steroids are going to follow them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I think I think uh, 
Without without the steroids, Mark, does Mark McGuire go in? I don't think so. I mean, I he, don't he think he had that great a career either. I mean, he, he was certainly he had a lot of home runs, but uh, he wasn't a high average guy. He didn't drive in that many runs. He was he didn't play a long time. He wasn't good defensively. No, I don't think he would get in anyway. Uh, there'd be a plaque in there, I guess, for most home runs in a year or something like that. But no, I don't think he would have gotten in. But Bonds clearly. Bonds was a Hall of Famer before he started taking steroids. The question is, will people recognize that and give him the benefit of the doubt because he would have made it without steroids? Clearly, uh, you look at his his career numbers are just staggering, and he, based on just the numbers, if you did if you didn't know about the steroids, he would certainly be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And that's Maybe exactly how I feel about Manny Ramirez. Yeah, Manny Ramirez arguably was the greatest right-hand hitter of all time. I mean, you, you could make that argument. Maybe Joe DiMaggio, but, but he, he's certainly in that ilk. Uh, but again, was he tarnished by the steroids? That, that, that's what I wonder about. Any, you know, anybody, Dave, in that era, when they put up crazy numbers, and his body did change. When, when he first came up, he was a slender guy. I mean, and when he, when he ended it, he was, he had the typical, it looked like he had the typical steroid body. When he, when Are he you talking about career. Ramirez? Yeah. Yeah, okay. You know, I've heard that argument before. But you know whose body changed more than his, and he was never even had an inkling of steroid notoriety? Jim Tomey. Jim Tomey was a skinny mini when he came up in 93. He was as skinny as you could get. And all of a sudden, just in 95, 96, 97, this guy turned into a muscle-bound power hitter, and nobody ever talked about him being on steroids. You know, I wonder, you mentioned the 2018 class. I wonder how far we have to get out into the future where that issue is no longer in the minds of the writers or the players or the fans, that how many players, it, 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 there was that period of time you know, between maybe 95 and 2000, what, 2007, 2008, with that 10-, 12-year period where everybody was under suspicion. I mean, if you went to, uh, what was the guy, uh, Brady Anderson, remember from Baltimore? Oh. He was, you know, he, he hit uh, like 50 home runs at, one year. lifetime hitter. In one year, he hit, what, 55 home runs or some crazy yeah. number like that? And, and you know, he, he would never make the Hall of Fame anyway, but... To me, that was kind of the, the the testament to the steroid era, when Brady Anderson hits over 50 home runs, and he was a what five ten, five eleven guy who wasn't that big. So that era will pass; it'll pass into history. But I wonder how many of those players will never outlive that. Mark, two other items I want to get, touch on tonight before we end tonight's show for another week. First of all, very quickly, Major League Baseball. There is some rumors that Rob Manfred and the union are discussing going back to a 154-game schedule. It would start in the 2018 season. Do you like it? Dislike it? What do you think? I like it. I mean, I think they're. I think you're going to get as a fan, you're going to get better baseball. I really do. Uh, this baton death march these guys go through. They play over 200 games a year, if you include spring training, and even more if, you, if you're in the playoffs. And having played baseball, uh, I can't imagine that. And if you ever notice sometimes when guys get days off, they get two or three days off, they come back and they, they, they hit great and they pitch well and all that stuff. So I, I, yeah, I would like to see that. I think it's a smart idea. And I don't understand why you have to have that many games. Even though it's only an eight-game shortage. Well, yeah, but eight games during the course of the year, that gives you sometimes two days off. And, and, and what I would do, on top of that, I would add some doubleheaders. I so agree, So the players yeah. have more off days. Yep. I, I totally agree. You know, you and I have discussed that, and we've talked about a plan where they could do it, day-night doubleheaders on Saturdays. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that gives the, the players would like that because it gives them – if they get more, you know, they play 154, that's eight eight days off during the season. may not sound like a lot, but it is. It's a lot, a lot more than they have now. Throw in three or four doubleheaders, and now you've got 
10, 12, you know, almost two weeks off during the season, plus the All-Star break. You're going to see better baseball if you do that. I think it's a smart move. All right, let's go into the temporary insanity plea of Chris Sale on Saturday. <laughs> I, I, I've got to admit, Mark, uh, the the throwback uniforms that Chris Sale was upset about wearing, the softball uniforms that the White Sox used to wear back in the middle 70s, I, I got to admit, you probably wouldn't want to be caught dead wearing those uniforms. But nonetheless, couldn't Chris Sale come up with a better way than just going, taking the scissors out of the trainer's room and going and cutting up all the uniforms? Couldn't he have just come down with an illness? You know, my arm's a little tight. Uh, my wife went into labor. I don't know if she's pregnant or not, but some reason just to not, you know, pitch that day for crying out loud, Mark, rather than go in and vandalize 25 uniforms? Yeah, that was stupid. But, those uniforms are stupid too. I mean, I don't, I don't agree with crazy, and that's what he did. He was acting crazy, and it cost him almost three hundred thousand dollars. So, uh, with the the two hundred fifty thousand dollar fine plus, or you know, for not playing the suspended part of that, plus play, paying for the uniforms, he had, he had to pay the money back, uh, and it made him look like an idiot. So, not smart. That, that was not a smart move. However, those uniforms, they are probably the hottest uniforms to wear. Uh, since uniforms became polyester, uh, because they're, they're hot, they have collars, high collars on them. I, I wouldn't want to pitch with those things either. So I think the White Sox made a stupid decision to use those uniforms, but Chris Sale made an even dumber decision to vandalize. <laughs> that, that'll be, that'll be a footnote in his career the rest of his life. Well, and I've heard all day long, Mark, Guys on the radio, Sports Talk Radio, both nationally and locally, saying that now the White Sox are looking at getting rid of him because, if you recall, Chris Sale back in spring training was the biggest complainer about the White Sox front office over the Adam LaRoche situation when he retired just like that because they didn't want his son hanging around the the uh, locker room. And Chris Sale is the one that really took the mantle up for Adam LaRoche. They're saying that Front office has had enough of Chris Sale, and hey, let let's just start the rebuilding process now. Yeah, and you know the White Sox have a decision to make with uh, with uh, Frazier too, with Todd Frazier. Uh, I think he, he he will be moved. Somebody will pick up that bat. But it's amazing the White Sox. It seems like every year they are the team. You know, they're going to be the team that's going to surprise everybody, and they surprise everybody by not being good. I, I don't know why that is, but they, they haven't. What they won at what no six or something like that. Uh, so it's oh, been a while, and they're you know they're right now they're in a in a tough situation being in Chicago when the Cubs playing so well and in first place and getting all the press. And the last thing they needed was their star left-hander to go out there and act like a moron. But that's what happened. You know they had the best record in baseball in the month of April, and the team that had the worst record in baseball was the Houston Astros. Now the Astros are knocking on the heels of the Texas Rangers in the West. They're only two games out heading into tonight's action. And the White Sox are eight and a half games behind the Indians, and they're in fourth place in the American League Central. So really, you know, you just got to tread water the first couple of months of the season, Mark. You just You just don't have to go out and blow the league away in the first month, but you just have to tread water and stay in it. Let me ask you a question about that Central Division. Who's more dead in the water, the Kansas City Royals or the Chicago White Sox? The White Sox. Okay. Easy. The the White Sox. Kansas City has got a better farm system than the White Sox have, and the White Sox just have really gone into the dumper. They just don't have enough talent. They don't have the talent that Kansas City's got. Mark, the Indians, they're off tonight, like we said. They play Washington tomorrow night, and then Wednesday afternoon, that's the big matchup, Carrasco against Strasburg, and that'll be on, uh, or Strasburg, excuse me, that'll be on um, uh, Wednesday afternoon. Then they're off on Thursday. They play uh, this weekend at home also, but the Reds, well, they go to San Francisco tonight, and then San Diego over the weekend. Should be a pretty interesting evening, and we're both expecting the Reds and the Indians to make moves before next Monday night show, right? You heard it. You heard my predictions. I'll stand by <laughs> All right, Mark. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a good one, Dave.
That's going to do it for our show. Hey, don't forget, just four weeks from this Friday night, our uh, coverage of baseball action happens, and that will be, or uh, excuse me, football action happens, and that will be on August 26th. We'll be back on the air with high school football action here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing tonight's show. Our thanks to you for listening. And that's going to do it until next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell saying once again, thanks for joining us tonight. Have a good week, everybody. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baby.